Hi, my name is Alex Pernan. I'm the CEO of Star Royalties. We're a relatively new royalty and streaming company. Our business model is all about creating royalties and streams. And since we started this company, we've had a dual investment mandate covering both precious metals and carbon credits. We've been pioneering on the carbon side. We created the first ever forest carbon credit royalty over 18 months ago. In October, we announced our wholly owned and pure green subsidiary that's called Green Star Royalties. And that allows us to grow uh, aggressively on the green business side and it gives us a carbon negative footprint in the process. So everything we're doing on the green side, that's getting a lot of traction. It's resonating with the market. We're spending most of our time talking about the topic now. And on top of that, we just announced the very exciting transaction this week. Uh, we're pioneering again with another first of its kind carbon credit royalty, this time on the regenerative agriculture space. And not only that, but it's in partnership with the uh, top carbon offset developer in North America. Well, Alex, lovely to meet you. I think we, we caught up um, previously with um, Kevin McLean. He's run us through the uh, Star Royalties side of the business, and he gave us a, a little clue that something might be happening on the, on the uh, well, it's the new spin-out called Green Star Royalties. Um, so can you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your background? Sure, Matt. So I'm, I'm a geologist by training. I started off in gold exploration here in Canada and Quebec, mostly. I worked in the US for a bit for uh, Freeport. So I was on the copper mining side of the business for a bit, came back to Toronto where I'm based now. I worked in um, equity research, worked at Canaccord Genuity with a few of our teammates where we're in a group of ex-colleagues that are all working together again. So I was covering precious metals companies, um, mid-cap producers, royalty and streaming companies. Did that for a few years, moved over to Barrick. After that, I was managing capital allocation for Barrick. That was a very interesting job. You know, most corporate development roles are external facing. You're only looking at M&A. In our case, we were looking at everything, including our whole portfolio and how to spend money the best way possible. So I did that for a few years. That led to the acquisition of Rangold. That was a major acquisition, the biggest one in a decade at the time. And then we also did the, uh, the joint venture in Nevada between Barrick and Newmont, that's now called Nevada Gold Mines. So that was a deal that was decades in the making and we finally got it together. And uh, after those two major deals, you know, the opportunity came to be that the stars aligned, no pun intended, that uh, the group could all work together. And that's how Star formed. And that was in uh, mid-2019. Brilliant. Okay. And, but, but today, I think what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is just focus on the Green Star Royalties component, uh, because it's... It's the theme of the moment, right? It, it, everything is getting that that green wash, and it's going to be very difficult for investors to understand what's real, what's not. Um, you've always put green in the in the title, give people a clue as to what you're you, you want to talk about. So, what have you set out to do with Green Star Royalties? So, Green Star Royalties is going to be our green only investment vehicle. We did the first carbon credit deal 18 months ago. That I mentioned that, and we can talk in detail about what that is. But we did this deal, and that first investment was purposely small because we weren't sure how the market would react. You know, we were a new company. We were built. We were building up the precious metals side. Uh, carbon credits, carbon offsets were very well understood in Europe. Europe is by far the leader when it comes to this space. Here in Canada and North America, um, th there was a lack of understanding, and it's grown significantly since then. So that was our first deal, and it's gotten a disproportionate amount of interest. You know, to the point when our our company was IPOing in February of this year, so we're fairly new in that sense. 
we spent a disproportionate amount of time talking about that one deal. And that one deal was, you know, a percentage of our portfolio at the time. So that's led us to a second deal. Um, and what we thought was with so much interest on the green side, you know, investors are, are significantly more interested on green. And that's partly because of ESG mandates. ESG mandates have grown exponentially in the last 18 months. The exponential growth is only going to continue. Based on that, based on the fact that the green business model is so scalable, you know, there's no shortage of opportunities to deploy capital on the green side. Um, the fact that there's no competition or very limited competition to originate carbon offset deals. And that's a big difference for us. We originate credits and we originate uh, offsets. So there's no competition in this space. And we're, we're looking at some very strong returns. These are high accretion deals. And we can talk about those types of numbers later on. But, you know, that's a good combination as to why we wanted to launch GreenStar. GreenStar allows us to grow with no particular investment mandate. And when we started the company and Kevin's spoken to you about this in previous interviews, we had an 80% precious metals capital allocation strategy and 20% green. But if we maintained it, we would have lost our first mover advantage because we've been looking on the green side for two years now. And with all this demand, all this potential to invest, we had to unrestrict ourselves. That's what GreenStar does. And we're now growing GreenStar to have a, a completely separate vehicle in the future. Right. Okay. So the, the key word you mentioned there was you originate. Okay. Because this, this could, this is, like I say, my, my, my key imperative here is to, um, one, I got to understand this space because it's, it's an, it's a nascent industry, right? People are, you know, a lot of people will be jumping from the bandwagon, taking advantage of investors. I'm trying to work out who's real and who's not. And, if you're going to originate these, you better, well, why don't you describe, what do you mean? How do you define that? What does that look like? Okay, so what some companies do, and actually what the majority of companies do, nearly all companies, what they do is they buy existing carbon credits or carbon offsets to offset their emissions. There are different types of markets. There's a compliance market, there's a voluntary market, and we can talk later on about what those mean. Well, let's use voluntary as an example. A voluntary market means that these are companies that are not mandated by the government to offset their emissions. They're doing it on a voluntary basis. So Microsoft, Netflix, UPS, American Airlines, virtually all the companies that you hear about, they are offsetting voluntarily, right? And they are buying existing offsets or existing credits to do so. What we want to do is originate those projects. So what we're doing is we're providing capital to turn that project into a carbon sequestration project, into a project that can generate carbon offsets, um, carbon credits. Without our money, there is no carbon sequestration project. And you know the, the, the easy example, and we'll talk in detail later on, but regenerative agriculture, if our money doesn't go into it, there is no regenerative agriculture program. There are no carbon offsets to sell. You know, it's, it's not the same thing as some other companies out there that are looking to buy existing offsets, existing credits, and they might do a royalty on that, a stream on that. We are financing them into existence. And that's why we're getting so much interest from investors. Perfect. Okay. We, and, and we'll come back to that. I think I just want to start further upstream, as it were. Okay. So the Netflix, the Microsoft, so whatever companies are, they want to, um, they want to buy these carbon credits. Okay. So what's driving them? Uh, some, some are going to be obliged, right? 
there's going to be, you know, whether, whether it be compliance or uh, le- legal reasons why they, they, need, they need to do this. They're being told by the government, you must do this, or being told by industry, you must do this. So what, what, what precisely, are, well, who is making them do it if it, if it is forced, uh, or why would they do it voluntarily um, if, if they do so? What, what's the problem they're trying to solve with this? Because that's a new okay. thing, right? Good question, Matt. It, it is not necessarily a new thing. It is a new thing depending on the jurisdiction. In Europe, this has been going on for 15 plus years. So let's talk about the two markets now. This is a good time to do it. The compliance market means that it's being mandated by some form of government. You know, In Europe, you have um, an emissions trading system. It's basically a trading platform that uh, carbon credits are traded on. Everybody in Europe under that program, they're mandated by the EU to offset their emissions. Here in Canada, we have a carbon tax and that carbon tax, the pricing is ramping up significantly. But before we talk about those prices, compliance means that here in Canada, the government of Canada is mandating large emitters like power companies, um, industrials, cement producers, large emitters that emit a certain amount of carbon dioxide or carbon dioxide equivalent, greenhouse gases in general, um, that they emit a certain amount per year, well, they have to offset. They either pay a penalty, which is the carbon tax, or they buy carbon credits, okay? On the voluntary side, who's buying them? Well, everybody else. That's the Netflix, the Amazon, you, me, we can buy them personally. We're doing that because we're being pressured by our investors, whether it's a BlackRock or whether it's the retail investor, whether it's the 25-year-old investor that owns Netflix, that is the way it's going. And with ESG investments and, the, and the, the mandate that's growing significantly, it comes down to cost of capital. You know, if a Netflix buys high quality regenerative agriculture offsets in the US, well, they might be able to lower their cost of capital, whether it's equity or debt, by a few hundred basis points. That's hundreds of millions of dollars we're talking about. So it's the way the world is going. It's not going anywhere but up and bigger. That's why they're doing it. I mean, that's a really important point. So if, if we, we, we talk about it, when you'll know this from the mining background as well, is when we've talked about it with uh, companies, the reason to be ESG compliant, the reason to be green, the reason to buy uh, carbon credits is it, it is bottom line. I mean, literally bottom line, it makes your financing cheaper. You can get cheaper sources of capital as a result. Is as as crude and as base as that? It is, it is. I mean, look, there's obviously an environmental perspective here and, and I appreciate that given my, my own background. So you are a good corporate or global citizen by doing it. But yes, you're right. It, it does improve your finances. You know, a good example is that Newmont just announced a, a billion dollar sustainability bond and it's to reach their carbon offset targets. You know, everybody's going for carbon neutrality or net zero or, car, or you know, uh, uh, whatever definition they want to use, but they, they have these 2050 targets. They just announced a billion dollar bond package to do that. So yes, it has a major impact. And when we're talking about companies that size, you know, like I said, a percentage or two, it's very significant. So, and buying buying credits is going to be cheaper than dealing with uh, carbon taxes because governments, I'm assuming, will well, it's punitive, really. They can make up a number that works for them, which may not work for the company. So it's better to to take control of the situation. Is that what they're they're doing? They can get ahead of ahead of the carbon tax initiatives by governments. They can again save themselves some money. Correct. So let's talk about Canada. In Canada, we have a carbon tax. I mentioned that earlier. The carbon tax was twenty five dollars Canadian a ton last year. It's now forty dollars a ton. 
it's going to be $50 a ton next year. And then there's a plan for it to ramp up by $15 every year until it gets to 2030 at $170 a ton. So we're talking about a more than a quadrupling in pricing. What emitters can do is instead of paying that carbon tax, they can buy carbon credits. So let's say a blue source, um, and we'll talk about who they are later on, but a blue source is selling credits at a slight discount to where the carbon tax is. You know, in a year where carbon taxes are going to be $50, well, they might be selling credits at $45. And that's going to be enough of a financial incentive to do that. Plus, companies can always buy credits and hold them for a little bit. If they think prices are going past $50, and the federal government is saying that, then they may want to buy additional credits at $45 versus paying a $15 premium the following year. So, but there's going to be there's going to be a whole new market for, for carbon credits. And we've seen We've seen nickel companies talk about carbon sequestration as as, as part of um, what they're doing. You know the fact that they've got ore body able to absorb uh, carbon if left out in the open air. We've got, I think we're going to talk in a minute about regenerative programs like yours. We've got others who, quite frankly, just ring fence, ring fence areas of forest and say, "Hey, that's a carbon credit." It doesn't feel particularly real to me, but th th that's the sort of ilk of options out there. But they're going to get more and more ways that. Uh, carbon credits will be offered, some more real than others, um, in terms of the do-gooding, do-do-good <laughs> uh, tick box that you that you may want to tick as, as as if you're buying these things. So, is it going to be a case of there's going to be such a big market that it's then going to be a question of well, how much do I want to pay versus you know a slight discount to the carbon tax number? Which case you know do you think there's going to be a lot of competitive tension around um, buying? That's right. So, you know, let's talk about the types of projects, first of all, because you alluded to it in terms of what projects can actually generate these, these credits or these offsets. There are the biosequestration projects, which are conservation of forest or reforestation or regenerative agriculture. They're nature-based solutions, and those usually trade at a premium. People are more interested in that because they remove carbon dioxide through photosynthesis or whatnot out of the atmosphere. And to your point about the forests, what you need is to prove that there's a net benefit. You're right. You can't have an existing forest that's part of a, a provincial um, provincial park and then, hey, we're going to generate credits here. It doesn't work that way. If that forest is being clear cut and is making a hundred year commitment to be conserved, or if they're about to clear cut it, in the case of an indigenous community that relies on that revenue, then you can easily argue that that's a program that's worth having. But anyways, those are biosequestration projects. There's the mining example that you mentioned, renewables, methane destruction. So anyways, there's a list of opportunities out there that generate uh, these credits. In terms of supply versus demand, you know, if we talk about the voluntary market, the voluntary market is expected is expected to be at about a billion dollars this year in 2021. It was a $300 million market last year, billion dollars this year, and it's expected to go to $50 billion by 2030. So a billion dollars, what does that mean? If we use Shell as an example, everybody knows who Shell is. If Shell wanted to offset their emissions and only Shell, Shell has to spend $200 million to offset. So they have to buy a fifth of the entire market to offset. You know, there's 30 times as much demand as there are credits. So you can imagine pricing is going to go up and that's what everybody is excited about. That's why it's such a bullish environment for these credits. But but it also means that lots of people are going to be rushing in to take advantage of that situation. And so who regulates this? Okay, that's an excellent question. So it depends on whether it's compliance or if it's voluntary. Quickly on the compliance side here in Canada, it's the government, it's the federal government and it's our ministry that, that would do it, right? It's being run completely by the government. They validate everything. 
let's talk about voluntary because that's a bit more interesting. In the, in the voluntary side, you will have a company like BlueSource who will develop the program. And just to explain who BlueSource is, they are the largest offset developer here in North America. They've been around for 20 years, highly reputable, very professional group. They develop the program and they'll do everything from assessing the program, like a feasibility study in that sense from the mining world. They will register it, they'll certify it, they'll manage, they'll report everything. They essentially develop the credits and they go and sell those credits to their clients. And that's a Netflix or an Amazon or whoever it is. There's another group in all of this called the registry. The registry is your third party independent validator of the project. So think of them a bit like an auditor in the financial sense. You know, it's a KPMG or an EY. The registry will go and provide you with a rule book. It's called a protocol. And the protocol will say, what kind of programs can you have? How do you measure these programs? How do you quantify everything? And then they come back after and they actually validate the credits and say, yes, we agree with your method of calculating and quantifying these. And we now serialize these and we're gonna have a ledger and we're gonna track where these credits are going. So, you know, if you go to Vera, Vera is the, uh, the largest and most reputable of the, the registries in the US. And there are other groups out there, but Vera is a good example. Vera is gonna have a, a ledger and it's gonna say, this carbon credit was generated in 2023 by Blue Source on this forest program in Ontario. And then that credit was then sold to Barrick, my previous employer, in 2026 and was re retired in 2027. And you can track it like that. Not all projects have registries though. So, you know, one of your questions might be, well, is there a difference in quality of these credits? Yes, there is a drastic one. But that, right? that, that's so, exactly exactly where I was going with, with with this because you know if I come back to mining, you know, getting getting someone uh, to sign sign off on a forty three one hundred one, um, some you know, the quality of people signing off those forty three one hundred ones is wide and varied. Let me put it like that: from what do you want me to what what would you like me to write through to people who've got you know real blue chip. Well, sorry, they've got a proper reputation. And given the nascent nature of carbon credits in North America, I get what you're saying about Europe. It's slightly older, but it's, you know, are there, ob are there obvious candidates who are seen as the, you know, the, the gold standard? Um, and how do we stop kind of the kind of cowboy component coming in and, and ruining things for everyone by just signing off things willy nilly? No, that's that's a that's an excellent question, and this is the you know the the, the growing dynamic of, of carbon offsets. We we just had something called COP twenty six. It was in the UK. I was in London while that was happening, so there's a lot of buzz going on. In COP twenty six, there's something called Article six. It's Article six of the Paris Rulebook. I don't think we're going to go into the, the the major details here. But the point of that was to talk about global carbon markets, carbon pricing universally. How do you measure? How do you quantify? How do you do all of this? So all of this work is being done. It was a, a major component for us when we were building the business to make sure that we were associated with the highest quality groups there because, you know, that's the major competitive advantage. So, you know, our partnership is with BlueSource. They are like the Barrick or the Newmont of carbon offsets. Our registries are Vera. It's funny you say gold standard. That actually is the name of one of the registries. There's a group called the gold standard. They are a very good name. There's American Carbon Registry. They're another good name. So you need to know, and there is a learning curve here, but you need to know who the quality players are and you want to be associated with them. But the thing is not all carbon offsets or carbon credits are validated. So, you know, when you look at a British Airways in, in, in your region, that's offsetting their emissions. And I'm just using them hypothetically. It doesn't mean that them specifically, but 
if a British Airways is buying offsets for $2 or maybe $3 a ton, they might be buying them from South Africa Wind or from India Hydroelectric. And the reason that they're that price is because, well, there's a bit of a jurisdictional component. There's the fact that these are coming from renewable power. So you could argue that there's no additionality. You know, those programs don't really need carbon offsets. They're sustainable businesses on their own. And there's no validation in some cases. So you're really just buying what they're telling you you're buying. You know, for programs in the U.S., like this regenerative agriculture program, those credits are trading at 20 to $27 U.S. compared to a dollar or two dollars. And the reason for that is because they're in the U.S., because they're regenerative agriculture. So you, you're, you're proving that there's additionality there. Regen ag doesn't work without the credits in the first place. That's the whole purpose there. That's, that is the business. And, um, and it doesn't get any greener than that. So Netflix would be happy to pay that price than something that's questionable. And we've talked about the registry. Vera does all the registry work for them. So that's that's the discrepancy in pricing that you'll see in the markets. And how do investors, I mean, let's assume you know, like yourself, there'll be public companies um, who uh, want you know, their shareholders understand, you know, the, the quality of what they're doing and then why they're spending money and, and on what. But will there be sort of, we've got something over here in, in the UK called, you know, ISO numbers. Where it's, a, it, it's a basic categorization of the quality of, uh, of, of something. So I don't know, how, how does the industry go about grading and ranking um, projects, carbon credit projects, other than price? Um, because as you say, jurisdictionally, there'll be, there'll be variations there. But in terms of, you know, projects that you're, well, hopefully we're, we're about to talk about, which is, um, you know, sort of genuine regenerative uh, agricultural program versus something which was happening anyway. And people are saying, well, I'll tell you what, we can, we can put a carbon credit overlay over this thing. There's no real net benefit to anyone, but I think we might get away with it. So how do we judge that? How do our shareholders judge it? How, how do the, how does the world judge that? Well, I, I think we're, we're, we're covering it as we speak, right? Pricing, first of all, is an easy indicator. You know, and I, I like to use diamonds as an analogy, right? The, the, the diamond space, no diamonds are created equally. You could have two diamonds. They're both one carat and one costs significantly more than the other because it's a higher quality diamond that was mined in Northern Ontario versus some questionable jurisdiction. So keep that in mind. But, you know, the, the, the way you grade an offset is additionality and we talked about that you know the program that's underlying here didn't need the credit to sustain itself as a business with forest conservation if it doesn't generate an offset or a credit well there is no business that is the entire business there so that has a big check mark when it comes to additionality renewable power not so much because you don't need the offset for wind or for hydroelectric or for whatever it is the other one is permanence how permanent is that sequestration or that removal of carbon and that can be a bit tricky to, to quantify, and I can appreciate that. But, you know, if you are Netflix and you're buying a credit or you're a, you're a Microsoft and you're buying a credit, you want to make sure that that carbon dioxide or the greenhouse gas equivalent has been sequestered for a significant amount of time. You don't want the thought of, well, this carbon could be reversed in three years from now, right? So that's what permanence is. You have to make sure that this is sticking in the carbon sink for decades plus, right? Then you've got the validation and the validation we've spoken on, but that is a major driver as to how do you know if this is a high quality project. If somebody like Vera or American Carbon Registry is going there, boots on the ground to confirm everything, then you know that this is going to be a high quality project because they're proving they're, they're providing their stamp of approval. With other ones, 
you don't really know what you're getting. So there is a learning curve. I appreciate that. But you need to see these types of major players like the blue sources, like the Veras involved. And that's going to provide comfort knowing what's happening. Okay, understood. And we are getting there. I promise you. I'm just trying to lay this out for everyone, including myself, to understand what, what uh, you know, can this be games? Because there's going to be some people a little bit more cynical and say it's it's a PR exercise. This is just a thematic. There have been thematics have come and gone. Um, you know, and companies don't really kind of care or look out five years and worry about is this permanently sequestered or not. This is a case of I need to deal with uh, or take advantage of a PR situation today with this theme. Do you think that could be the case with some companies when they enter this? Or do you think that, well, I'm not quite sure how, how, how you monitor or measure individual companies' attitudes or, or, or performance um, with, with this other than who they've, who they've partnered with or who they've paid to partner with at that moment in time. I completely agree. And, and, and basically what that's called is greenwashing. So a good example of greenwashing is McDonald's. And I'm using McDonald's because they just had a, an announcement that they, that they launched a, uh, I don't know if it's a new McDonald's location or an existing one, but there's a McDonald's location in the UK that's now wind-powered. Okay, big deal. You know, we're talking about McDonald's and their global footprint this one location with wind power is not really going to matter. That's greenwashing because they're using it as a PR exercise. So sometimes you'll see pushback on carbon offsets in terms of greenwashing, but we need to understand what that actually means. It's not the credit itself that's the problem. It's how the credit's being used. If you are looking at a company that's using carbon offsets as part of their strategy, that's excellent and you need that because you know that carbon credits and carbon offsets are an immediate actionable item in your green toolbox. You can do it right now and you should do it right now and you should do it going forward. The pushback that some companies get is that it's their sole strategy. What you're, what you're supposed to be doing is you're using offsets or credits now while you come up with a real plan to transition to net zero, right? And that's electrification, that's biofuels, that's whatever technology. And that takes several decades to do. That's not happening immediately, but that's why you use these offsets. You're getting pushed back with some companies because they're only talking about offsetting and say, okay, well, we've asked, we've offset our emissions. We, we're done. We clear that box for ESG investors, but there is no underlying strategy to transition to net neutral. And that's ultimately what we need. So that's the pushback. The other pushback, and we've talked about this just before, are the types of offsets that they're buying. You know, if a company is buying the mediocre offsets that are questionable and they're a dollar and whatever, that's not that interesting. And ESG investors aren't going to be pleased or impressed. If you're talking about groups that are buying the highest quality, the highest price offsets from the best projects out there, then people are very happy. So it really depends on what they're buying. That makes a difference. And at a high level, you don't know until you dig. You make me smile when you tell me the McDonald's story because uh, I went to McDonald's last weekend with my kids, finished eating, and we went to clear up the food and we were present we were uh, presented with uh, eight different holes to put the different types of waste down, you know, food, paper, plastics, et cetera. And um, so we were having fun doing this. And the person working there came up, came up behind us and said, I, I don't, don't, don't worry if you don't get it right. It all goes in the same bin out the back. <laughs> you know what? It's, 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 it's funny and sad at the same time. Because it it's is. True. Because that is where the cynicism comes from for a lot of, you know, for, for, for some. So when we're talking about a new industry like this, which could do some good, 
And if people come at it the right way with, with, with an honesty, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's great. You know, we, we, we definitely need to do it and get behind it. And it's, it's uh, something that we should possibly encourage and invest in. Um, but I, I just, you know, I, I want to understand the movie part so I can ask the right questions of any company doing, doing similar things, whether it be through royalty or, or, or directly the right questions. And I think you've helped greatly, but we better get on and talk about what you're doing. Cause you, you put out an announcement earlier this week, which was really intrigued me. I mean, I, I, I like the, the, the main business. I've enjoyed the conversations with, um, with Kevin, but, um, you, you've already mentioned obviously Blue Source, um, here, but why don't you tell us a little bit about this press release? Cause again, I do want to ask you about questions about what it is that you're trying to build with this particular, um, program. Okay. Absolutely. And we were very excited to, to announce it. So maybe I'll start off. You know, this is a, an in-depth subject, we'll break it down a little bit. We have been working with Blue Source for the last 18 months or so. You know, that first deal that we did, that first forest carbon credit royalty, that's a Blue Source project. And we worked with them again on another opportunity in Alberta, another forestry program uh, with an indigenous community there. And at the beginning of this year, we had a discussion with Blue Source and we said, we really want to build up this business with you. How can we work together? Where do you see the future of, of offsets or credits? And that was regenerative agriculture. And I'm going to call it Regen Ag for short, just because it's less of a mouthful. So since the beginning of this year, we've been working with them on pioneering the structure. Regen Ag is not new. It's been around forever. And to be honest, that's how farmers used to farm until it became a lot more mechanical in the last couple of hundred years. Um, but that was the opportunity. So the press release that we announced on Monday of this week is Green Star putting up $5 million US for a Regen Ag program. And what we're specifically spending money on is subsidizing these probiotic fertilizers. And I'm gonna explain what that is. So essentially what we have is Blue Source is going to be managing and developing a carbon offset program in the US. It's gonna start off in the US, the scalability is enormous and that's something that we're excited about. I'll talk about that in a second. But you're probably gonna say, well, what is Regen Ag? So we should talk about that. Regen Ag is a wholesome approach to farming. So it's multiple practices and it's all about soil health and increasing your, your soil organic matter. And you do that in various ways, hence the multiple practices. You do that by reducing your tillage of your farm. You incorporate cover cropping practices. You increase your water management uh, systems. You introduce biodiversity and you have probiotics. And probiotics, think of them like a, a soil yogurt where you put them as a fertilizer and they enhance or they accelerate carbon sequestration into your soil. So that's what Regen Ag is. And remember, we're only subsidizing one component. So all the other components are gonna be free upside for us. Now, if we go back to the program, Blue Source is developing this program. The first iteration, which is this pilot program, that's gonna cover 320,000 acres of farmers in the, in, in the Midwest US. And that's where we're gonna start off. Those 320,000 uh, acres of farmers, they're going to practice Regen Ag. And they're gonna do all the different things that we talked about, including using this probiotic soil product, this microorganism product that they're gonna put onto their soil. That's gonna sequester carbon dioxide into their farmland. We're gonna be able to quantify after every growing season, how much carbon dioxide is being sequestered. That's how we determine how many credits or how many offsets we get because for every ton of CO2 that's sequestered, that's one offset that we can sell. And we expect this program to generate over 500,000 offsets a year. And it's gonna do that for 10 years. So that's what the program itself does. Why do we wanna do this program? Well, 
The first one is it's a very good deal. You know, at the end of the day, we're an investment company. What we're doing here is we're putting up $5 million and we're going to be getting roughly 100,000 offsets a year. You know, our revenue equivalent is over 100,000 offsets of the 500,000 offsets. So if you do quick math, that's like paying $4, roughly $4 US per offset. And remember, Matt, I said earlier, these regen ad credits are going for $20 to $27 US. So we're going to see significant value accretion. This is a high return deal for us. The other point is scalability. This is a 320,000 acre program, but the beauty of these types of programs, and it's different than the gold royalty space, we basically just scale up and up and up. So right now, 320,000 acres, we are now at a point where we have a few million acres of demand. So there are farmers that are trying to get into this program because they want to practice regen ag and they want to be compensated for their carbon contribution here. So out of the 320,000 acres, you can imagine we're going to do bigger deals going forward. There's over a billion acres of farmland in the U.S. and, and Canada. And uh, what's exciting is part of this partnership with Blue Source, we have a ROFO. We have a right of first offer. So you will see us working with them more and more on more deals, on larger deals. That's a, a huge competitive advantage because that's like saying on the gold side, well, we have a ROFO with Barrick to finance Nevada gold mines, right? That's what we've done on the green side, and we're really excited about it. There's obviously the environmental impact component, and I, I, I want to highlight that too. 500,000 offsets, what does that mean in terms of quantifying it? Well, that's that's like saying we're offsetting 30,000 Canadians every single year. So this program is going to offset equivalent of 30,000 Canadians. In terms of gold mining terms, since we're all gold mining people, and that's what the audience is, that's like the carbon footprint of 1.5 million ounces of gold production. So this one program which is a small program and will scale up, is going to offset the equivalent of one and a half million ounces of gold production. It's really exciting. So it's the best of both worlds. It's a great environmental deal and it's a very good investment as well that's scalable. So uh, just give me some more numbers. Okay, 5 million invested, 500,000 carbon offset credits generated. Did you say you only get 100,000 of those? That's correct. So the program, the, well, that's a good question. The program as a whole, think of it as your gross revenue. The gross revenue of the program is going to be the 500,000 offsets, but that has to get split in different ways. Out of the 500,000 offsets, there will be expenses to subsidize the, um, the soil amendment product every single year, their cost to develop the credits. There's going to be a part of the cost, um, pardon me, a part of the revenue that goes to Blue Source. That's how Blue Source gets compensated. And there's a big component that goes to the farmers as well. So part of what we brought in, you know, with our intellectual property of financing things, and that's why we've worked with Blue Source, and that's why they've approached us to work here with them. It's how do we incentivize farmers, right? And there's actually a mechanism here where the better they do, the more they sequester, the the bigger the pie of of carbon revenue they'll get. So 500 is the gross amount, but we have to pay Blue Source for doing all the work. They are literally doing all the work and we have to pay the farmers for doing a good job and making sure that they're incentivized to do the best job possible. After all of that, we get over 100,000 offsets, which is perfectly fine because if you do the math, that at 15, 20, $25 US an offset, we get to pay back pretty quickly. Right, so, and so I wanna keep going on this one. So 5 million, does anyone else put any actual money in? Is it just, or is it just you? It is just us. Just you. Carbon so, financiers here. Right. Okay. So blue source. Um, and, and, and where does that, that the actual where do the dollars go? You've explained how the kind of carbon five hundred thousand carbon offset credits get divvied up, but where's the five million actually go? So the five million will be basically the first year or the first two years payments for these soil amendment products. We want to make sure that the farmers 
jump onto this program, they adopt the program, and we don't want them to have to pay out of pocket, right? We want to make sure that this is as attractive as possible. So the $5 million goes to subsidize that product, this uh, the soil amendment or probiotic product. Going forward, 500,000 offsets, part of that's going to pay for it. So we don't have to put the money up. That's like the royalty structure where you put an initial payment amount up. So the bulk of the 5 million gets given to the sorry, the probiotic person, who, which is a, a separate firm, or is that Blue Source's proprietary product as well? What? Good question. I, I'll bring that up now. There's another firm here, and in this case, they're called Locus Ag, Locus Agricultural Solutions. Um, they are the soil amendment company. They're basically a green tech, green ag company. They're the ones that manufacture this. It's their proprietary uh, technology, and it's you know it's their organic fertilizer. They're the ones that do it. So they're involved. They're the ones that actually adopt the farmers into the program. Blue Source is the carbon offset professional and expert, and they do all the work there, but they don't have the uh, individual relationships with the farmers. That's where Locus Ag comes in. So the $5 million specifically goes into the program, and that program will put it towards Locus Ag's soil amendment product for the farmers. Got it. Okay. And I know this is probably going to be one of a whole... One one product in a portfolio of products that you, you, you you'll be able to create, but let me just understand this one. So, um, Locus AG um, basically have the probiotic. Um, Blue Source implement the program and get the farmers on board, and the farmers have to do the work, and then you've stumped up the money to give to Locus. So, it, right, I'm a farmer. I I've got a hundred thousand uh, acres. What's what's the process? Is it Blue Source approaches me and says what? Okay, and so then, what, Matt, and more importantly, what do I do? What's it physically look like on the ground? Matt, Matt, the farmer is going to be dealing with both Locus Ag. You're going to be dealing with your rep at Locus Ag, who's going to be coming to you, meeting you, selling you the product, and you might already be buying this product anyways. It's not like they're introducing the product. You might already be using this product with Locus Ag, so you'll have a relationship there. You will then have a relationship with Blue Source because Blue Source will be helping monitoring and developing the carbon credits. You know, Locus Ag is also sending a group of soil scientists at the end of the growing season to go and quantify. They're going to do soil sampling to actually confirm how much carbon dioxide has been sequestered. That's how we determine how many offsets we can sell. Somebody has to go and do the verified work there. And what you're doing is just you're doing your regen ag practices. So the low tillage, the cover cropping, the fact that you're using the probiotic, you're farming just like that. And why you want to do this is not only because you're going to be getting a good uh, revenue split of the carbon credits, and that could be very meaningful, but you should be getting a meaningful increase in your crop yields. By doing all of this and by farming in this more sustainable way, and this is why Regen Ag is becoming more and more popular um, and using this product specifically, you can get up to 40% plus crop yield increases, You know whether you're farming uh, corn or wheat or barley or whatnot. So you are gonna have a healthier farm. You're gonna be generating more money per acre with your produce and you're gonna be getting money from Blue Source with the offsets that they're generating. Got it, okay, so Farmer Matt here, I'm gonna grow my corn as usual. Um, I potentially will get bigger crops and I'm gonna sell that, that's my money entirely. I'm uh, All I'm focused on is the incremental um, cash I can, I can probably generate per acre um, through the carbon credits. Right, of which I'm allocated X percent per per X number of uh, credits per acre, um, and 
Well, what's happening is that you're saying, could you be a slightly more responsible farmer and utilize our practices because it's it's better for in terms of sequestering uh, carbon from the atmosphere, but it's also good for, good for you, good practice, good for the soil. Um, and, uh, you know, you're doing good now, right? So I'm, I'm you're just saying, encouraging me to work a slightly different way. So it's not a radical change. So in terms of take up, this isn't a hard sell. Not at all. I mean, to the point where, like I said earlier, there's so much demand the bottleneck will not be farmers. The bottleneck, I think, realistically, is producing the soil amendment product. You know, we're going to have to ramp up on that, and that's not us. That's Locust Ag. But the, the 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 bottleneck eventually, I think, is just producing this. It's not the farmers. The farmers are desperately trying to get in. I, I personally get calls from farmers, and I say, well, you should call Blue Source. I'm not the right person for this. But farmers are trying to get into this because. You know, they're at a point where regen ag is the right way for them to farm. Put aside the carbon credit component, which is what we're now introducing. You know, these are farmers that have been farming for generations with heavy tillage, with heavy use of nitrogen-based fertilizers, and they're getting to the point where their soil is going through something called desertification. You know, they've, they've, they've basically depleted the soil of its nutrients. So they are on their own transitioning back to regen ag. Like I said, that's how people have been farming for thousands of years. Um, so they're doing that for their own benefit, their own farm health. The fact that there's a carbon credit component to it, that's making them even more excited. And that's why they're trying to get into the program. Right. And with the kind of the, the low tillage um, component here, it means that there's you're not disturbing the soil too much. And, and in terms of ret retention of the sequestered carbon, it is unlike... What's the, what's the chances of the, the you know, because you talk about, you talk about um, you know, because this is an annual thing, right? A annual fees paid here, assuming that the soil retains the, 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 the carbon. So you've got to do as little, as, as much as you can to uh, not disturb that, not, not re-releasing the carbon of the atmosphere. So again, how, how do you monitor and, and track that? Right. And I'll, I'll also add one more thing. Remember that this is not just about how much we sequester. It's also about how much we avoid emitting. So if you're reducing your tillage, not only are you not disturbing your land as much and you're not releasing as much carbon back into the atmosphere, but you're also inherently reducing your emissions because you're not using your equipment as much. So regenerative agriculture and probiotics and the entire umbrella that we're talking about is both a combination of avoidance. You know, these are offsets that are being generated from the avoidance of carbon dioxide, you know, avoided emissions, and the fact that some of the carbon is being sequestered, actually a fair majority of it, but it's, it's the combination of the two things. So, you know, and that's how we quantify it. How do you quantify it? Well, it's a combination of the boots on the ground that go to the farms and they do the soil measurements. It's partly done by algorithm. It's partly done by satellite imagery. Uh, there are models, there are calculations to determine how much emissions you're emitting from your traditional farming practices and what the reduction in emissions would be by doing this based on where you're geographically located, based on the type of equipment, the size of the equipment, uh, the types of crops and you know, different crops have different requirements. All of that work is done and all that heavy work is done by Blue Source. That makes our lives a lot easier. We just have to come up with a financing component. Okay, so it's doing good all across the board, but as an investor, I'm, I'm listening to that story. I'm going, well, that, that sounds fantastic. It's, it's, it's definitely topical. The thematic is, is hot at the moment. Um, and there's going to be lots of new entrants into this. The deal that you just put together with Lotus Ag and, and, and Blue Source also sounds fantastic. Ticks a lot of boxes for me. Why am I investing into your royalty company and not going after Locus 
at Locust AG because they're going to have to make more of this stuff. Companies like you are going to pay them to do it. Surely they're going to do you know, really, really well out of this as well. What, 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 what's the kind of leverage that you've got versus them? I'm, I'm sure they'll do well and I hope they do well because we're all partners in this situation. But it's the same question as to why would you want to own us versus our underlying operator? Because the royalty business model is a more robust one at the end of the day. All we're doing is we're providing upfront capital one times and then we're going to be getting cash flow every single year from that point on. And just like the royalty business model, we have all the added benefits that we would on the gold side. If carbon credit prices go up, and I think we made the argument that that's a logical thought process, you know, if we're assuming a discount to where these prices are trading, and that's what we're doing, we have this overly conservative model, which is to our benefit, and all the math I've given you so far is based on that. So the 20 to $27 carbon pricing, we're not assuming anything close to that. We're assuming a 40% discount in carbon credit prices to that. If we get that, that's great. If they actually go to 20 or $27, which that's what they're selling for today, well, then that's a major benefit to us. If they go higher than that because of the amount of demand that we're seeing over the next 10 years, that's added benefit. So we have that commodity price leverage, just like on the gold royalty side. Gold prices go up, that's to our benefit. There's no cost input, right? So our margins are pretty much the revenue. And that's different than the operator. You know, whether it's a gold mountain mining or a Sabre Gold or a Locust Ag or whoever it is, well, they have margins because they have cost component. We don't. So that's the benefit of the royalty business model. Even in terms of sequestration, you know, what we're doing is we're assuming less sequestration rates than what Locust Ag has actually proven in the field. They've proven four, five, six tons of CO2 sequestration in the field per acre. Our model assumes half of that. So again, if they do half of that, that's exactly in line with what we expected. If they do what they're saying they're going to do, that's another major benefit. So there's added upside in pretty much every aspect of our business model here. That's why you want to own that. The other benefit too is with the ROFO, with the scalability, you're going to see us do this deal more and more. So with farmers that are in the millions of acres now in terms of demand, and this was a $5 million deal, you could imagine that we're going to come back and want to do a 20, 30, $40 million deal. And that's just regen ag. We're not talking about regen ag in Canada and we're not talking about forestry. We're looking at forestry opportunities that are alone 20, 30, $40 million. And we're the only ones doing this. Remember that nobody is originating carbon offsets. We're the only ones that are doing it. We have that partnership with Blue Source. Nobody else has that. So these are all major competitive advantages for us. And this is why investors and capital partners are so keen to get involved with us because Yes, they can go and buy carbon offsets, and we talked about that, but it's not easy to get involved with a group that's originating, that's actually financing them into production. That's the interest that we're getting. That's why everybody's so happy to talk about green with us now. Yeah, yeah members of our private club will be smiling because I always talk about if, if you can discount a business's numbers by 40% and still find it interesting, you need to invest. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Well, look, we've given the math. Anybody can quickly pull it up in Excel. Do the math, you know the credit price, you know the amount of credits we're going to be getting. You're going to see that your, your NPV or your NAV is going to be multiples of what we paid for. And this is only going to scale up. So that's why we're so excited. Uh, yeah, you, you, you absolutely should be. And look, I'm, I'm very excited to see So I'm also conscious of the amount of time I, I've taken um, up, which is, so I want to say, look, thank you very much for the education and just trying to help us understand all the moving parts and variables. That's been fast. That was fascinating for me at the beginning. Um, really nice to see how you're moving forward with this um, project with Bluestone and, and um, uh, 
uh, and obviously building that and scaling that that one product. And I'm sure there'll be more. And I'd love to hear you come back on and talk about some of the other green, I shouldn't phrase it, green opportunities, some of the other financial opportunities and, you know, how you're going to fund those and where the money's going to come from. It's a, it's a very uh, interesting space at the moment. So, Alex, thank you for today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Take care.